It's Mr. Christopher with the Funkatopia radio show. And you guys know that I love to actually spend some time with artists that are out there on the beat. We've had interviews with so many different artists that are in the Purple Universe and beyond. And this gentleman is a great performer, one of my favorites to see whenever he comes through our town here in Atlanta locally, and uh, a good friend of mine. And I am so glad to have him on the show, Mr. Marshall Charloff. What's up, man? Hey. Hey, Mr. Christopher. <laughs> we're so formal with these misters. Mister. I thought we were friends. We are, but it's just, I'm, okay. I'm trying to be, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're trying to be all proper Cor- while we're sitting here in cordial. our pajamas. <laughs> right. To kind of give everybody that's listening a little bit of a background who doesn't know who Marshall is. Marshall is a, an amazing performer. He's been in... Uh, I mean, why don't you give them a little bit of, of history of, of who you are, you know, where you started. Uh, a lot of people have interest in 94 East and things like that. And mm-hmm. just kind of get a little bit of interest, a little bit of a, a capsule, if you will, of your history in the music industry in Minneapolis and beyond. Okay. Yeah. 94 East was really kind of the portal that opened up so many things for me. I was in a band with Prince's first cousin. And we were just in a band. I didn't even know he was Prince's first cousin. And I didn't believe him when he told me he was. So we're just going about our business. And one day, Frank is his name and told my friends to stay. And he said, hey, you want to go hang out with, with Prince? And I'm like, yeah, right. You ain't Prince's cousin. And you know, anyway, you know, make this a very short story. We went and hung out with Prince. Prince had already known about me through through Frank. I met Dr. Frank in the Revolution. That was the first time I was exposed to them. And then we went and met Pepe Willie. He's like, well, let's go hang out with my uncle. I'm like, okay. You know, at that point, he had credibility with me. I believe I believed anything he said after meeting Prince. And Pepe ended up signing me to his record label when I was, I think I was 19. And then I was fortunate to play on those 94 East recordings. And it was just, you know, Pepe had all these sessions where Prince was playing guitar or piano or bass or whatever. And he would just ask me to come up with parts and contribute. And so then those were released many, many years later. And nowhere at the same time frame as when Prince recorded them. So we're spanning, you know, 20 years probably. But nonetheless, to my credit, I get to say I'm on recordings with Prince, you know, however you want to interpret that, <laughs> but but I am. And from there, I formed a production company with John Fields. Your folks are probably familiar with John. He's produced kind of everybody, basically. Jonas Brothers, Pink, Miley, Demi Lovato, Switchfoot, Soul Asylum, everybody. And so he and I got to produce... A lot of records. His uncle is Steven Greenberg. Steven signed us to his record company. We had a single out. We got to produce the Commodores and and Little Anthony and the Imperials when we were just, I think we were 21. We got, you know, to have that kind of production credit at such a young age. It was crazy. And then John moved to L.A. and ended up producing everybody. (laughs) I went into uh, dueling dueling pianos. I, I got into that circuit. That was just, what an education. You have to really know how to engage an audience with just the piano and your personality and sing-alongs and comedy and whatnot. And you have to, on the spot, take requests and know hundreds of songs. And I did that for a long time. Then I was in the band West Side, which is... Are you familiar with, with West Side? I am not. No, wow. I, yeah, I definitely would like to hear more about that. 
So West Side is like you graduate from West Side and then you go on to big things. West Side is there in the Minnesota Music uh, Hall of Fame, and everybody's been in West Side. Chance Howard from um, Prince's band was in West Side. I was in West Side. My fellow bandmate Tracy Blake was in West Side. David Barry, who's who went on to be um, musical director for Cher and so many others uh he came from west side a couple of the guys from maserati were first in um aaron from maserati and dan satterberg from maserati were in west side dan satterberg later became a dylan piano partner it's pretty incestuous the the, the, the whole thing in minneapolis but but west side was this thing was this entity that people didn't stay for a long time necessarily in west side but everybody's been in west side and, he, and then they went on to make a name for themselves and in, in other things so that was really an amazing breeding grounds for me and it spawned kind of the next level thing for me as far as live performance i really cut my teeth learning from the great tony green they were they won on um, star search so you're we're going way the heck back <laughs> are they but recording to west side oh yeah Oh, there totally is. Yeah, no, they they won that show, the Star, Star Search. Search. We're talking about Ed Ed freaking McMahon. So we're going we're going way back. But they yeah. won Star Search. Uh, them and Limited Warranty were the other uh, winners, and Limited Warranty was also out of Minneapolis. So there was a there was a scene happening way back then. You know, kind of congruent with Prince, and then you have Funky Town, which freaking blew up the world. Right. And then that guy ends up signing me to his record company, who's my lifelong friend, Stephen Greenberg. So I just kind of just been, I don't know how, just been kind of around it. And then, you know, the right place, right time or whatever. It was just kind of my path. Mm. That's, um, I mean, and so, so now fast forward, I mean, you have, how many solo albums do you actually have out now? Two, but one of them, nobody knows about <laughs> because <laughs> it, it, because I put out a Christian album just inspired you know spiritual music that nobody's nobody's even heard of that it's called starfish but but really more um you know my contemporary project which was in 2016 which was came out in march so it came out a month before prince passed away and i was fully ready to support that album it's called marshall 11 because of course, you know, I got to play on the Marshall goes to 11 and that whole spinal tap thing. It <laughs> was the album cover too. It was the album cover. And I actually got that trademark where the L's in the, in the word Marshall are gone. You put the ones in there. So it's, you know, there's basically 11's bookending the end of my name. And I got that trademarked. Nice. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty damn. So, so watch for, so merchandise, all that stuff you can actually get now tribute.com which is purple experience it goes to purple experience you can get all that merch so i was fully ready to support that album and you know the guys were the band was starting to learn that material and we were going to perform some of that stuff and then prince passed away and so that thing just went like you know breaks screeching halt and i was no longer promoting that album so I, it didn't really get the full attention it deserved at that time but you know so many things fine then i started touring with the symphonies conductor wrote a symphony and had me in mind for 
fronting these symphonies, and it turned out I did over twenty five of them. Yeah, I remember so, that whole the whole circus. But you know, and yes, I, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm writing it down, and I'm going to actually come back to that because uh, we we did skip over the fact that a lot of people know you now from the front person for the band Purple Experience, and there's no yeah. E in experience; it's just X experience. And I don't know what the conscious choices of of naming it that way, but that's fine. Oh, I'll tell you because it's <laughs> oh. a, you're, when I tell you, you're gonna. If you hadn't seen this before, you're about to get your mind blown. But go okay. ahead. Okay, no, well, yeah, I definitely want to know the answer to that. And also, yeah. and at one point in time, Doctor Fink was in your project as well. So, tell people about how Purple Experience came to be because Purple Experience came to be while Prince was still with us. So it's not like, it wasn't a tribute. I mean, it was a tribute band, but he was still with us and very much touring and everything else. So tell me how the idea of this came together, also the name and everything else. I mean, kind of give me a little bit of background on that. Sure. So yeah, it was put together with Matt and myself after we had performed. We've known each other for a long time, as I mentioned. He worked with Pepe as a recording engineer and did a lot of the production on those 94 East recordings. And then when I was brought in to play, I would go to Star Vu, which was Matt's house in his recording studio. So I've known him a long time over the years. And then um, because of my work with Little Anthony and the Imperials, when they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Pepe, who's related to Clarence, Clarence is Pepe's uncle. Clarence is the founder of Little Anthony. Um, Because of that connection, there's just this relationship with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they invited us to perform there with a Minneapolis all-star project. So they they wanted some 94 East original songs, and they wanted some Minneapolis songs, and they wanted some Prince songs. So being a member of 94 East, Pepe called me and said, hey, we're performing at, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and Matt's going to play keys. And I'm like, holy cow, because that was the first time I'd played live with matt we've been in the studio together but we've never shared the stage and i'm like oh my god i'm gonna play the rock and roll hall of fame with with dr frank on keyboards okay that's happening so um <laughs> you know it was just it was an incredible experience we uh, you know we we're hanging out with we actually had this jam this um after party vip jam and it was you know alan white from from yes was playing drums and the atlanta rhythm section was playing who had you know who I got to play with recently, Dave Mason. What's uh, not Counting Crows? The other Crows, the, um, Black Crows. Was it Black Crows? Yeah, Black Crows. And all these folks were at this jam, and Matt and I, we just had a ball. And then we just talked about it. We're like, "Is there? Let's do something together. Let's do a project together." And we just, we just kind of, it was spawned from there. We talked about it, and the question came up, of course. Because as you mentioned, Prince was very much alive and, and touring. And, you know, we're talking about early 2011. And we're like, well, we would have to do it on a very high level. We'd have to, there'd have to be, the cheese factor would have to be very low. I mean, we're, we have to do it in a respectful and an honorable way, especially we have the original doctor, you know. So the way we talked about it, it was that we're bringing the music and we're bringing the, the experience and, and the looks etc that prince wasn't doing obviously he's not going to be wearing a purple coat or any of that stuff because he did that so as we know you know prince just always you know he didn't really do that rearview mirror thing so we talked about giving the old experience of what it was like you know back when matt was doing it at the top of his game you know we were very mindful that prince had to be at least okay with it 
you know, we weren't going to cross him in any way or disrespect him in any way. So Matt ended up having a meeting with, with Prince at Paisley Park uh, regarding the project. You know, we just set out to do really about the music, which was Prince's wish that the emphasis was the high caliber execution of this music and done in a way that is, uh, you know, respectful. Are you, so, are you under the impression that, that you were probably the only Prince tribute band at that time that actually had Prince's blessing? Is that accurate? I have no idea. No, I can't say that. I do know that my friend Jason in Vegas, who has uh, Purple Rain, was has been doing his show way longer than I have. I know that Prince has been to his show. I know that they have hung out and Prince was very much aware of that show way before mine. I don't I can't say whether he approved of, you know, any of these performances. That I can't say. All I can speak to is that um Matt did meet personally with Prince regarding our project and the desire to do this in a respectful way and one that didn't, you know, offend in any respect. Now on these types of shows are are you like required to you know, give him a cut of what you make, or is it just a simple licensing fees, or how does how does all that work as far as in that regard? Because he knows that you're making money off of his music. So what I mean, how how does that even oh. work? Okay, you're talking about when Prince was with us, yes, or present or present day. Oh, actually, both. I guess. I mean, it's, I imagine okay. there's probably a little bit of a difference. Yeah, well, there's a yeah, there was actually a huge difference. So when Prince was with us. We did not have any licensing agreement with the estate or with him. The way that traditionally and for hundreds of years, this is the way it works, is that the venues have to pay licensing, ASCAP and BMI, so that that money is distributed to those artists where copywritten works are performed. The the onus lied 100% on the venue. Right. And that's the way it's been forever. That changed when Prince passed away, and I, I'm not sure if it would have, it may have changed anyway, but the timing was such that Prince moved his catalog to GMR. So that catalog, it's Irving Azoff. So it, it's not been established with venues. Venues aren't paying GMR. So mm. licensing wasn't being funneled to the Prince estate because these venues aren't accustomed. They don't have accounts with GMR. So... Yeah. We have a direct licensure with GMR and the Prince Estate. So we are licensed directly by both. So if the venue pays or doesn't pay, doesn't make any difference. We have our licensure agreement. And, you know, we are bound by mutually agreeable terms where we represent the product and we represent the imagery and the brand that is in line with the with directly with the estate and with gmr so they're two separate licensures that that we're involved with now and of course well you know that i worked with prince's sister sharon nelson and so we we were able to get in good graces let's let's leave it there (laughs) (laughs) well that's yeah because it's it's always it's since it's passing it's been a very very rocky process for i mean for everybody involved And just finding the correct licensing and making sure that you're doing things legitimately is is really key in order you know, for a lot of people that still to this day are very, very, uh, even when he's not with us, are very protective of his legacy and making sure that, you know, anybody that could possibly be making money off of him or off of his trademark 
symbols or anything, mm-hmm. you know, are, are, are making sure that everything is being routed through the correct channels. And, and that's, and, and it's an admirable cause. And I know a lot of people that are out there that are, you know, that are not doing that. So, well, even in our agreement, we don't use the trademark symbol. We don't yeah. use the, the font, which is also trademarked, you know, the purple rain font mm-hmm. that everybody uses. So we, we, we uphold the, that agreement. So you won't see the, the symbol or anything like that in any of our marketing, or I, I can't even wear the necklace. I used to wear the necklace. I can't wear that anymore. And those kinds of things, whereas everybody else does it and mm-hmm. they're just in violation, but it's just the way it is. You know, we're in compliance and like you say you know there's a certain responsibility that goes with it and we feel good about the fact that we're in compliance and legal and that's the only way to do this yeah that's awesome well it's also you know we we were selected so a lot of it is not our choice so when i say these other bands are in violation they don't have the option to be licensed directly by the prince estate or with gmr they've received cease and desist they were told they can no longer they they don't have an avenue even if they wanted to pay for the rights to perform everything they're 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 not granted that licensure. So it's very different GMR than it is with ASCAP or BMI or anything else where the owner of the license can deny, and they do. They deny everybody. They yeah. just simply don't grant the license. And you can be sitting there going, well, I want to pay. I mean, where do I write a check? It doesn't matter. And that's where they're protecting the legacy. They don't want hundreds or thousands of folks to just all of a sudden put on a purple coat and represent the greatest artists of all time so they're just they're they're the gatekeepers so i mean i appreciate you saying it's honorable and whatnot um but really we were we're blessed to have the opportunity whereas that's not given to others yeah well that is that is definitely (laughs) that's a good thing too i would imagine for your band as well because you know a lot of these people that are doing what you guys are doing Mm -hmm. uh you know are, are not doing so with the with the graces of the estate and no. that, that, that kind of causes a little bit of a problem for them. So they're actually rolling the dice every single time they hit the stage, but you know, you guys yes. are legit. I mean, that's, you know, yes, they are rolling the dice in the venues. Unfortunately are rolling the dice when they hired the band. That is that because nobody's paying the license, the band's not and the venues, not. And uh, yeah. So as you say, are, are there certain the acts or, or certain people that are in the Prince family that do not like artists and, and protégés and whatnot that actually have a problem with what you guys are doing? Are there people in the, in the Prince family that have a problem with what we're doing? Yes. No. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. Like I said, um, you know, we have a, a great relationship with, with Sharon, Prince's sister, and it goes back a very long time with some of the guys in the band. Our bassist, Ron Long, was... I collaborated with John, with Prince's father, and with Sharon, and they go back a long, long time with that family. So that's how I learned that Sharon was a fan of what we were doing. She was tweeting about us, and I had no idea, because I don't do the Twitter. I do all the other things, but <laughs> but she's tweeting about us. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, Ron, invite Sharon to a show. And we played in at the Fine Line in Minneapolis, and she came out, and then... Yeah, we can get into that story if you want, but then, you know, we ended up collaborating on stuff together. But I was going to tell you about the Purple Experience, the name. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I need to know why there's no E in experience. Well, the first one. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, if you write out the word experience, because I'm sitting there trying to come up with names, and 
experience is over freaking used, right? Everything's experience. Uh, there's so many tributes and whatnot. And then you also have the connotation with Jimi Hendrix. You hear the, you hear the word purple experience. How do you know that's, you know, a print show that could be honoring um, Jimi Hendrix just as easily. So I was discounting that, but then I looked at it on a piece of paper, the word, and I went, Oh my God, my jaw hit the ground. I said, it spells the word P R I N C E right in a row. All you do is you take two E's and you shrink them down and it says Prince. And I'm like, I can't believe Prince didn't even catch that. Cause you know, he would have exploited that, yeah, you know, probably. you know, he gold experience, gold experience would have, would have, would have popped P R I N C E right in the word. And I'm like, how am I the only one in the world that saw this? And so then I'm like, okay, we're going to get rid of the E because Matt was a, was a ex Prince bandmate. And I'm like, ex Prince experience. And I was just rolling all these things through my head i'm like that's it we got it and then i told matt i said we got to go with the name he's like he's like cool i love the name but we're not doing the popping out the prince thing i'm like what that's the whole point he's like no because we don't want to disrespect prince in any way i'm like no that's not disrespect that all that's doing (laughs) is making sure people don't think we're doing Jimi hendrix we're honoring prince and matt just wasn't having it he just he didn't want to do that so we laid low i mean i had to kind of inside go but we got the coolest name in the world but nobody knows it because <laughs> yeah. we didn't oh, exploit man. it so but now that you know if you look at that word you'd be like holy crap oh man that's great yeah you definitely yeah well and and now now uh fink is no longer with purple experience you guys are still moving forward so kind of tell the story about uh, I'll let you kind of unveil who stepped into the shoes of Dr. Fink and what you guys are doing nowadays. Yeah, we were heavily touring. Of course, our tour schedule went crazy. But first, we had to determine how to process the impact of Prince's passing. You know, we had a show scheduled the next day. We were supposed to be in Chicago the very next day for a concert. And I just assumed. And we were leaving that day on the 21st. Uh, we decided we were going to drive because it's you know it was only a few hours to Chicago. And Matt and I were going to drive together. We lived right by each other, and um, the rest of the guys were going also in a van. I tried to get a hold of Matt. Matt took took my call, and he said, "He's like, I got to call you back. I got CNN, ABC, CBS, every single network's on my lawn, and they're pounding on my door." I'm like, "Well, are you okay?" He's like, yeah, I got to call you back. And and I'm like, well, we're just, just letting you know, I'm, you know, my condolences, you know, I'm so sorry for your loss because, you know, obviously he knew him better than most people. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming he was grieving heavily and, and he was just in shock and he had the, the media to deal with. I said, OK, well, we're not doing the show. So who's canceling it or how is this going to work? And he said, oh, yeah, no, we're doing the show. I'm like, no, we're not. There's no way. And he, then he called me back after dealing with all the media. And he, he, he really just laid out his case for why it was important. He said, look, we're grieving. We're, we're not going to even fully be able to process this in, in real time. But we need to do this show. People need to grieve. 
we have an obligation and a responsibility. And then when he laid it out like that, I'm like, yeah, but how am I going to do it? I, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to get up on that stage. I just don't know how. And he's like, well, it, it means a lot to me. I need you to do it. So we, anyway, we did that. We did that show and I didn't know if there was going to be more shows or what was going to happen. And it was one of those, you know, once I hit the stage, it, it, it felt proper. It felt respectful. It felt like I'm supposed to do this. And I was kind of there under protest, to be honest. Mm. Um, but anyway, um, how was the turnout? Oh, you can only, it was sold out 10 times over. I mean, it was sold out. And then you had all the press and everybody were waiting outside the venue and they were interviewing, um, just, they were patrons, just ticket holders. And, you know, what's, what was the loss like for you? And, you know, we were in national news because you had the next day, 24 hours later, the original member of the revolution performing the music of Prince 24 hours later. So it was a national news story and they all wanted to interview me and I was taking none of it. I'm like, you don't want to interview me. Nobody wants to interview me right now because you're not going to like what I, cause I was, I didn't want to be there. So I would have said things under protest that nobody would have wanted to hear from me. So I just, I ignored all the interviewers. I kicked them out of, they wanted to be there for a sound check. They wanted to record it and air. I'm like, get out. No, you know, this is private. So I, I was really struggling with it. Uh, but you know, it was absolutely every seat, every <laughs> standing room. It was completely sold out. And that was the Arcada Theater, which we've sold out several times since then in Chicago. But mm. so after that, you know, the tour schedule just went crazy. It was heavy. And then the revolution started having conversations about reforming and about you know, putting the show together and touring. And they had contacted Matt and they said, this is, this is what we're doing. And Matt's like, great, you know, let me know when it's ready because really the most prepared to go perform Prince music of anybody in the revolution was Matt <laughs> because yeah. he'd been, because he'd been doing it for five years with us. Yeah. 2011 to 2016. So he'd have, he had five years of playing this catalog. So he was, he didn't need to relearn anything. He's like, I'm ready to go. Just let me know when you guys want to go. And then he, you know, of course he told us and told me that at some point here, he's going to need a replacement. And I'm like, of course go you know obviously you, this is amazing i was so happy you know that that he was able to go um toward the revolution and whatnot it was actually matt's idea for his replacement coriation Corey had helped with programming for our show and i had never even met him so he would get together with matt Corey would program matt sounds which is interesting. You would think Matt would have his own sounds from those days, but really Corey archived all this stuff and he's kind of the sound, I don't know what you want to, he's a professor of sound really. So he was able to, you know, dial in all those amazing signature patches for Matt so that our sound was so perfect. And he was doing that for us behind the scene. I, I, I hadn't even met him. So when Matt brought him up, I'm like, well, yeah, let me let me get his number. And I called him and, and uh, he was able to come to see us at a show in Minneapolis. That was the first time I met him. And he was totally honored to just um, be considered for the position. I had another gentleman. There was just two guys that we were looking at, but he had the most 
ties to the Minneapolis sound and, and his love for Prince and the music is really unsurpassed really anywhere. You know, maybe you are our arrival to Mr. Corey Ocean as far as, you know, a Prince historian to go back and know, you know, to catalog the music. But, but Corey is, is right up there in the world and just an amazing music, amazing musician. His contribution is unreal. You know, as you know, when, when NPG performs and they, they'll give him the call. So he's performed with the MBG many times and him and Michael Bland do tons of projects together. He's just the go-to guy. And so we're just so lucky to have him filling those as, you know, very big uh, scrubs, although he does not wear the scrubs, but <laughs> big shoes, big shoes to fill. And yes. um, he's just he's just the greatest. And so there was and then there was a time we had the orchestral part of it because everybody's trying to figure out, you know, the different ways that we can get in here and be able to honor Prince. And they put an orchestral touch onto it, and you were called into play to actually be that person. Yeah, you know, be, be the voice uh, in yeah. front of these orchestras, and kind of tell me a little bit about how that started, and how it fell apart, and some of the things that were involved in you know, and obviously whatever you can talk about. You and I have talked quite a bit offline about some of the yeah. ridiculousness that happened. But yeah. on the same, you know, whatever you can talk about, kind of talk about the beginnings and the endings of that. Like you say, it was 2016. Prince had just left us. We were in high demand and all kinds of offers, all kinds of proposals. And one came through management and it was to front the symphony. And I'm like, what? To front the symphony? What, you know, what's that all about? So I, the conductor gave me a call. I spoke with him, and he said he wrote the score for Night of Prince music, and his research brought him to me from my background in Minneapolis, my work with the various Minneapolis artists, my just connection to Prince and Dr. Frank, et cetera, et cetera. And it would be my show as far as what happens in between the songs. You know, there, there aren't transitions in orchestral <laughs> presentations, you know, it's the orchestra reads the score, the the song ends, and then they flip a page and they go to the next song. And then there's filler. And that's where my personal stories and setups of the song and my firsthand knowledge of some of these songs, some of their meanings, uh, their connection to 94 East, for example, or Matt's contribution, or the things Matt told me about, or Peppy told me about, or even Corey told me about, that I was able to bring to the show. We were only supposed to do, we, the first show was uh, Indianapolis. It sold out right away, and then they brought us back a month later to the same, the same orchestra. And from there, the other orchestras started putting in requests to have us and it ended up being over 25 orchestras that I was able to front and, and I got to play guitar and jam on the piano with these are literally the best musicians in the world because they're trained at Juilliard. You know, these folks are playing some of the most intricate, most uh, complicated pieces of music ever written. Then they're given the score of Prince music, and it was just a different energy in, in orchestra hall all around the country. Um, and it was amazing. With every good story, there's, there's you know, sometimes it doesn't end well. And in, in that case, what happened was the estate. Now, a lot of times when I mention the estate, it's not really the estate. 
you have to you have to compartmentalize that they're they're in uh, probate so the we're not talking about the family because Sharon was 100% siding with with me on this we're talking about probate we're talking about attorneys we're talking about you know the, the gatekeepers at that time of of the legacy and whatnot they had their own ideas put together uh, a, a symphonic tribute now a symphonic tribute is not the same thing as playing with you know the Detroit Symphony Orchestra or anything like that because when we're talking about the the orchestra that comes out of you know, these different states or cities we're talking about 60 pieces we're talking about you know, studied from Juilliard, and it's the same orchestra. They're not just piecemeal put together. These guys have been together for years. They're salaried, they're union. These are, and their conductors are re- revered around the world. But when you say a symphonic tribute, it means you could just get a, a few strings, strings together, some brass together. You could call it an orchestral tribute. You could have five guys sitting on a chair playing violin. You could call that an orchestral tribute. That's not what I did. It's a very different thing. However, if you're if you're trying to market a Prince orchestral tribute, and my show is going on at the same time, which sold out every time we performed, it's you know, challenging to say the least. So they felt that uh, it was best that we we no longer perform our show. Is what happened. And we had many, many shows still on the books, and it was a cease and desist situation. The licensing is different for orchestral music than it is uh, when the when the music's not written. And we found that out quickly that this didn't impact uh, Purple Experience because we weren't we weren't reading a piece of music that was scored or written interpreted if you will well and i'd heard that you know obviously we know i mean hindsight now that that quest love was involved in this other iteration uh in some form or fashion i'm not sure what his complete yeah. involvement was because I, I as far as i know he wasn't at all these different shows or maybe he was oh, like no. at, at, at a few of them but you know there were so many mixed reviews that were happening with this one that had replaced the one that you guys had done and a lot of it was not positive at all there was just a lot of disorganization and a lot of um so it's just interesting to me that they take something that is very very well polished and is being supported by as you say the greatest musicians on the planet and you have full orchestration and you you want to replace it with something that's you know just a little bit of an inferior project. And on top of that, the estate. Well, again, as you're saying, the the compartmentalized part of the estate that was in charge of that yes. that really didn't have any blessings or input from the actual family itself decided right. that this was the better option. I'm sorry that I didn't get to see the show. You guys were scheduled in Atlanta for that, and it got nixed before you guys even got here so i was very i was kind of bummed out that you know we didn't get an opportunity to take that in did get the opportunity to see the other one but was like after reading the reviews i was like nah (laughs) i'm not trying to bad mouth anybody but because i know there was a lot of people that put some hard work into doing it and everything but you know it's just what I want to move into now, because we've talked a lot about your history and got so much, and and I'm so glad that you kind of pulled back the curtain on who you are. And a lot of people don't know this, but when we've been doing these Prince Blocks and a lot of these things on the radio station, 
I have been slipping in a song called Minneapolis Sound, and a lot of people have, I was getting lots of emails, and uh, I know there's some other uh, radio stations that are online that have been playing it, and people were asking, where, where is this from? Is this like a B-side? What's going on? Who is this? And I am happy to finally unveil to all of you that that song, Minneapolis Sound, that you guys have been hearing is from the one and only... Marshall Charloff, who is with us today. And so it is very, very cool that uh, we finally got to unwrap that and that a lot of people, you know, have mistaken that song thinking that it was an actual Prince song. Uh, it's, it's, it's obviously got to be, you know, make your head explode in a certain way. Uh, but kind of tell a little bit about a story about how that song came to be and some of the reception that you received even before people knew that it was you singing it. It's really my homage to my hometown, to the architects of the Minneapolis Sound, which the, the, the primary architect, the king architect, or the prince architect, is, is Prince himself and all the people that, you know, came out of the Prince camp. And a lot of them are friends of mine, so I, I get to name drop friends. It is so cool. And I did it in a cryptic way, just the lyrics of it are dealing, uh, you know, it's all about Minneapolis and those artists. But I, you know, how do you get 25, 30 artists into, you know, a three and a half, four minute tune? And I was able to sneak these lyrics in. A lot of people are going to miss the references unless they see a lyric sheet or a music video, which, you know, that, that'll be out here pretty soon too. But that's what I set out to do is pay my respects to the Minneapolis Sound, the gift that keeps giving to all of us and certainly to me. As far as folks thinking it was Prince and, and you know, how I feel about that one, not, it, it was the song's about Prince. So there's no way it could be Prince because I mean, if you listen to the lyrics, it'll be like it's, it's talking all about Prince. And also there's a little bit of personal. I mean, I talk about growing up in Minneapolis and I talk about how the winters get so cold and that's the bad part. But that's what keeps that's what keeps the bad people out, which is a direct quote from Prince. So I was able to sneak all these little nuggets into the tune. But recently, preparation for the release, which is uh, going to be April 17th. I played it for some of the guys in my band. And I was like, I think maybe we need to uh, consider playing this live at the show. I mean, this is ties right in. It's all about Minneapolis and Prince. And, you know, we do a show where my job is to sound like Prince. You know, so if people think it sounds like Prince, that's kind of my job. You know, I'm not that surprised. I didn't say anything. I just played the tune for them. And they said, what Prince, what album is this on? Corey wasn't there because Corey would have known. But Ron Long was like, what? Prince album is this song? Is this released? Is this? I'm like, what are you, dude? That's me. <laughs> so when I fooled him, I went, oh no. If I fooled you and you know my voice better than anybody, people are gonna think it's Prince. I did. I didn't try to sound like Prince. I promise you. I was just trying to pay respect to Prince. In the yes, I tried to make it sound like the Minneapolis sound with my own little, you know. There's always going to be just some jazz voicings and some jazziness because that's who I am. But primarily, it sounds like a Minneapolis cut. But as far as the the vocals, that's just my vocals that happen to sound like Prince's. And then for some of the Princeologists like Corey and myself, you know, I mean, I, I knew right out of the gate that I mean, well, what well, you told me anyways. But you know, I, I was listening for that, and there's some 
there was two things that I think led people down that path because I mean vocal wise through the song it doesn't sound like Prince but people's assumption was that Prince was there for the recording of this because at the beginning that spoken part does actually sound a lot like Prince. It's, it, the, the, the tone of the tone of your voice when you were speaking in that first part does sound like Prince. And some of the way the song what is structured does sound like things that that Prince would do. Some of those chord changes are really reminiscent of a lot of those types of things that he would do, especially in the, the 2000s years when you're talking about like artificial age and and um, it's anything that kind of that came after Rainbow Children. Uh, it's just it had that sound. So I think that's kind of what led people down that assumption. And of course, when you have you know guys like myself and Arnell and all these you know all of us that are kind of working with you to you know, sneak it in there and kind of making things happen a little bit subliminally, hmm. that they just they let their minds take over and they just go wherever they're going to go. And, and we were we were all just kind of laughing about it. Back as a matter of fact, Arnell and I were talking via text. We were texting back and forth, and we were just kind of laughing, just kind of talking about some of the reception that we were getting on this song. And it's a great great tune. Yeah. And you know, as this interview is playing right now, you, you're hearing little bits of it in the background, and we will play the entirety of that song at the end of this. And of course, you know, tell us is this is this going to be part of a full album that's coming out? What what is this prepping everybody for? It really wasn't going to be on an album. It was um, just going to be a single that I was getting out to fans of uh, Purple Experience and fans of mine that, that are accustomed to the funky side of what I do and the Minneapolis sound of what I do. Where a lot of folks know me as doing kind of uh, easy listening, this, this, this smooth marshmallow, if you will, vibe that I have. I know. Yeah, trademark, know, yeah, trademark that. You know, so much to do, so much to do. But, but you know, that vibe that I have, that smooth jazz, which actually my, I have a song called Two Chords, which is, uh, I think it's number 40 on the smooth jazz charts. So it's, it's, it's extremely successful in smooth jazz world. And that's kind of the rollout. This whole album is, is in there. As a matter of fact, I did an instrumental version of this Minneapolis sound. Jason Peterson which I'm sure your listeners are familiar with. He and I go back a long time. We actually did dueling pianos together a few times way back in the day. Well, we were sitting here in, in quarantine, and I had the track. And, well, first of all, he did play the outro. That outro sax, he played on that, which is just an awesome ending to the tune. As I'm mentioning his entire family, you, you know, I talked about the different folks that I referenced in the song, St. Paul, uh, family, the time, all all dealing with the Petersons. And then I said, Ricky P, JPD. So I mentioned all those people, and and then he's blowing sacks over. So it's it, it's really it's really cool. But then I was talking to him, and I said, What if we just do an instrumental? I'm just going to take my vocal out and blow a horn line over my, you know, in replace of my vocal, but that melody. He did that in a couple hours, sent it over, I produced it, put it in, and so there's an instrumental version too. So that is more suited towards, you know, my album. At least I thought so. And I guess we'll see how this is received since I could still throw it on there as like a additional, you know, added bonus track or something. Yeah, I think it will be, I mean, we live in a society which is really kind of revolves around singles. 
uh, nowadays. So, I mean, it's kind of good to be able to have some of this and also, you know, still make that first album that kind of got bookshelved there for a little bit after Prince's passing, you know, put that in the mix so that if people really like what's going on, they can kind of go back into your library and maybe actually, you know, move forward with a little bit about that. But I think now that this song is actually going to be available for people to, you know, to purchase and to actually get, that would kind of lend itself to that where you just give people a little bit of a library to dig into. And yeah. um, I mean, because you've also sent me a couple other songs too. Are though I'm not going to mention the names of those, but are, are those going to see the light of day sometime in the near future? Here, I don't remember exactly what I sent you, but chances are those are on the next album. The album's called Unperfect, and it wasn't going to be out until fall. But now, talking about getting it out sooner than later, just because this is unprecedented to have everybody just sitting at home going content content you know let me let me escape and so to have my album out now for for people to just go somewhere for however long it is i don't even know would be important so i'm i'm going to try and move it up yeah there's 10 tunes this would be 11 if i release the um, the vocal version of minneapolis sound Again, I'm excited to unveil the fact that it is you that is on this. So now when I start playing it on the radio station, I can actually attach your name to it and oh, cool. <laughs> forego that mystery now. <laughs> but yeah. on the same note, what is, I, you know, right now, again, I, I hate putting timestamps on thing, but, you know, we are, everybody on the planet is in quarantine right now. You know, what, what is the future look like for you as an artist in this current environment? And also, you know, moving forward with your solo material along with mm-hmm. the purple experience, what, what does that look like? No clue. I don't think anybody <laughs> really knows. We just don't know what it's going to look like with social distancing and what, and mass uh, gatherings, which is really, that's what, a performer does is he, he he asks for a lot of people to gather in a room and celebrate music together and if that's taken away from us i mean it's taken away from us presently but i don't know what what lasting uh, effects will be i don't know if everybody's going to return to normal and just come on out to concerts again or if the model's going to change I, I just don't know so i'm hopeful that we return i mean our schedule is absolutely jam-packed as soon as you know the world opens up again now all, all right now it's assumed all our shows are canceled so i, I just don't know what's going to happen short term or long term i know that regardless of what happens humanity requires the arts more than ever i mean right now what is everybody doing they're they're turning to artists one in in one incarnation or another they're either watching movies reading books listening to music uh it's all about the arts right now that's that's who we turn to and so if everybody's going to be stuck at home and not going to be able to go to concerts then the model's going to have to change and my stage is going to be you know my living room or whatever and they'll have to be they'll have to be a way to monitor not just for me but all artists are going to have to figure out a way to eat so they're going to have to figure out a way to supplement their tour money and perform live or whatnot or sell merch mm. prince tribute.com uh or <laughs> well, we finally know what happened was we finally ordered all this merch i mean tons of merch and it's awesome that we didn't have for all these years we just had you know basic purple experience shirts and everything now we got all these hoodies and all these cool stuff going on and no gigs 
<laughs> so we put the money out. We already bought all the merch and no way to sell it. So PrinceTribute.com. But anyway, so um, so I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I know a lot of my fellow artists are doing live streams and whatnot. You know, a lot of my fellow former dueling piano community, they're taking requests and, you know, you can Venmo tip and whatnot. And, you know, I could jump back on that wagon if I if need be. But really, for me, it's, you know, the original music for me is is where I want to be. You know, the Prince was the greatest teacher of all time. He's the master teacher. And as a student, you know, any student wants to take what he learned and, okay, let me create. And so I've been doing that my whole life, you know, as we talked about. But Celebrating Prince has really taken a big chunk of my artistic energy. And if I'm not doing that, it will be fully in my original music. Uh, Minneapolis Sound and then Unperfect. What If is out there online. Colors will be on there, which is the collaboration with uh, Prince's sister, Sharon. And then my first album, Marshall 11, is available. That's everywhere on the Spotify. It's all about Spotify now. You got to go stream it on Spotify. Yep. Yeah. Colors is actually one of the tracks that you had sent me, and also another one called Nothing Matters, Just Love. Oh, I love that song. Just let me talk about my own my own work. Oh, I love that. <laughs> It's such a great, it's such a great song. I well, you dedicated decades. You decade dedicated decades of your life to to uh, mimicking is not the right word, but in, in you know honoring and paying tribute to another artist when yeah. you are just such an amazing talent in your own right on guitar and keyboards and vocals and you know there uh, there really is honestly no reason why you you couldn't have really gone full blown into all of your own original material, but I just felt like kind of watching yeah. you from a distance. It's like, you know, I, I'm watching you get all of this traction from yeah. you know, getting all this traction from all this other stuff. And, and that is not you, it's you doing somebody else. And, you know, it, it's, it's awesome because I'm a huge Prince fan, but it's also frustrating because I also know how talented you are and how much of a you know an amazing musician you are. So it's kind of like Thanks, I just man. really want to see some of your own stuff. So it's really awesome that you know finally, hopefully, Marshall Eleven or Marshall Eleven. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is is out is out there and available for you know people to actually get a hold of and that this Minneapolis thing the way that we kind of market it got a little bit of traction that way so oh. it's kind of it's kind of been awesome and looking forward yeah. to colors and everything and man it's just been awesome to have you come on and and kind of again as i said before pulling the curtain back on on who you were as a performer and uh getting letting people get an opportunity to to know you and kind of get some of your background story, man. It's awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Well, thanks for the stage. It's been a while since I've been on one, so I appreciate uh, yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, there's that. All right. Oh, I'm hoping this stuff ends soon because I'd uh, love to be able to come out and see you guys. And I know that when the veil finally gets lifted on this whole virus thing, I, I, I don't doubt that people are going to be coming out in droves to go see live concerts. There'll be some apprehension from some folks, obviously, but I think some of us hardcore music fans are are ready. There may be a lot more masks in the audience, but other than that, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Yeah, you know, Doctor Fink was ahead of his time, right? That's right. 
right. It wasn't an N95 mask, but right. It no, was... it wasn't. That's funny. <laughs> well, Marshall, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. And I look forward to getting getting the full album when it finally comes out. And uh, meanwhile, we're gonna make. Obviously, we're going to set up links to where you can pick up the Minneapolis soundtrack and anything else. Uh, like, you know, if you happen to be in a really spending mode, you don't want to go anywhere else other than PrinceTribute.com, right? <laughs> Well, Chris, that's, that's for the Mar- that's for the MarshallCharloff.com is really where my the original aspect of who I am. Boy, right. being me, you being wanna... me on MarshallCharloff.com is is where the original music lives and links and and everything else. But but I was just talking about merch for the show. Merch for the show is on PrinceTribute.com. You can head to either MarshallCharloff.com or PrinceTribute.com and be sure to support local artists no matter where they are anywhere around the world. Whenever mm-hmm. you can and if you can. And everybody take care. Marshall, thanks again, brother. Back at you. Thank you. All right. Minneapolis. Come on. Keep your hands. And now move around. That's how we do it. Now this is the Minneapolis.
Get down 